The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, come with me. What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode number 20 of the SB Nation NFL Show. This is The Look Ahead. I am Rob Stats Guerrera from the Niners Nation Network. And with me, as always, RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. What is going on, RJ? Not a whole lot, Stats. Great to be with you. As always, super pumped for the NFL's version of the Final Four. Also super pumped uh, getting set to finish a book for the first time in 2021. It was among my resolutions to read more. Just about done with the first uh, first book this year. So very exciting stuff in my own life. All right. Tell us what it is. <laughs> it is. Um, it's not like super new or super recent or anything. Um, it's the Phil Knight memoir the the nike god you know uh i think it's actually don't even know the name it's called shoe dog i think Uh, it might be shoe night but i think it's called shoe dog anyway it's really interesting kind of the story of uh, his ascension um obviously in the world of shoes um i started it kind of midway through the season uh so i had a bit of a head start as far as new year's resolutions are concerned but uh dallas cowboys wide receiver amari cooper read it as well so elite people reading this book here as of late i'm gonna skip over that tell us one interesting thing you learned from this book so um, I own a couple of Nikes, I imagine, at one point in your life when uh, Stats was a, an athlete, big time athlete, in case anybody didn't know. Huge. Uh, famous. Um, so when you buy a Nike, you know, pair of shoes, do you know what color the box is? Orange. Yeah. So apparently when Phil Knight kind of like first started like sending these out to different retailers, I don't know this and, you know. You know, I know, you know, n- neither of us are kids around here, but we're not super old. Uh, but by the time we were getting shoes like those light up shoes in elementary school, boxes were really cool that shoes came in. But apparently, like a long, long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, they used to be like only blue or green, like shoe boxes, I guess, at general department stores. So he wanted them to stand out. So that's why he had them in neon orange boxes, a tradition they uphold even today. Pretty cool. All right. That was not bad. Uh, let me lay out the play. Well, actually, first, let me remind you to rate, review and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. Not only do you get top notch NFL analysis, you also get one sentence book reviews or previews from RJ Ochoa. So like, how could you turn that down? You must subscribe. That's right. By the way, uh, I saw we got some love on uh, the daily episodes we've been churning out stats. You and I burning the midnight oil as of late. I just want to say I think your daily episodes are better than mine. Uh, I just want to say I agree. <laughs> so, a couple of things that we... Oh, you know what? We got a new one. How about Jake in Memphis? I enjoy listening to the Daily Briefs. It provides bite-sized information that's easy to digest for the, quote, gentle listeners. Thanks, RJ and Stats. So Shout out, Jake. Thank you, Jake. A couple of things we saw today that caught our interest. I saw two quotes about some quarterbacks that I thought worked perfectly together, and they're actually from two teams in the same division, so it's even better. So I want to get to that. You have a Saints conspiracy theory that you have been teasing me with all day today that you can't wait to run past me. Sure. So um, obviously, I'm very excited to talk about the games this week, but I could not wait. And I was you know, messaging you all day uh, because this is you know, about your favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, the best gold helmeted team in the NFL, if I do say so myself. Don't um, you dare. <laughs> but so uh, anyway, by the way, this is a different subject. I think NFL helmets that have the, the three stripes with like the white stripe in the middle um, are the best 
like that's the best template of helmet in the NFL. Like that's the Cowboys template. That's the Niners template, the Saints template. You know what I'm saying? So um, the Green Bay Packers template as well. So uh, maybe that'll help them out this weekend. Who knows? But anyway, uh, so did, did you see stats? Speaking of the Saints, Drew Brees, uh, many suspect that he has played his last NFL game like Philip Rivers has officially. Um, but um, did you see that his wife took to Instagram on Tuesday night? Yes, and she said that he played the whole year with an injured shoulder and an injured foot. Yes, I, uh, the specific medical terms, I've been uh, watching some scrubs lately as well. A torn rotator cuff, a torn fascia in his foot, plus the 11 broken ribs and the collapsed lung, which we obviously already knew about. So we saw a great pass in the division around matchup between the Saints and the Buccaneers, right? Who threw that pass? Taysom Hill. That's wrong. You're, you're the, the next Steve Young did not throw that pass. Uh, Jameis Winston threw that pass, right? So think about this. Taysom Hill started. Do you know how many games he started this year? Three. It was five. He started five games for the Saints. Now I was thinking about this. Why did Jameis get to throw this pass? And thinking about it really because of, of what Brittany Breeze uh, put out on Instagram. And th- by the way, this is the time of year. Uh, shout out to AJ Brown as well, where we hear all about everything these guys went through. Um, not to diminish it, but, you know, some guys just chill out a little bit. Anyway, um, so thinking about this and specifically thinking about what Michael Thomas, the, the report about him was, was that he wanted to play the year heard because there was thought that this was Breeze's last season. Remember when Taysom Hill did start against uh, your 49ers, actually it was the first game in lieu of Jameis Winston. And we were all like, what are you doing, Sean Payton? Like, how are you starting Taysom Hill? And granted, you know, in Payton's defense, the Saints won four games in a row, ultimately losing to Jalen Hurts. But I was thinking, I, I because I saw a take that said, and I'm sure you've seen this and thought this at different times. If Breeze was really dealing with all of these things, not to doubt his wife, um, why why not bench yourself, right? Like if if you're truly this like put together with duct tape and twigs and glue, you know, at a certain point you're hurting your team more than you're helping, right? It just you know, objectively, generally speaking, I think we saw certainly on Sunday that he limited the New Orleans Saints and he really held them back, and I. My conspiracy theory, not that I believe it with full heart, uh, but is that the entire Saints organization kind of catered to Drew Brees this year. I think that they realized that they had a supremely talented roster that could win games with Taysom Hill. By the way, the five games they played with Taysom were no offense against the lowly Niners team against Atlanta, which Atlanta sandwiched their game against Denver, and they caught that break without even playing a starting quarterback. So, I mean, there was some luck involved there. But my point is, I think when that happened, I – my conspiracy theory that I don't totally believe, but wanted to get your thoughts on, was that Sean Payton sat down and said, I cannot possibly put in Jameis Winston. I signed Jameis Winston for a, on a two-year deal because I want Jameis around in 2021. But if I throw Jameis out here against these tomato cans, starting with the Niners, he's going to look awesome. And it's, or, you know, awesome, you know, with, with some breaks pumped in, whatever. And it's not, it's going to be this, you know, Wally Pip situation, right? And I'm not going to be able to go back to Breeze with full face value. And everyone's going to say that I held the team back by moving back to Drew Breeze. Whereas, yeah, Taysom's not the best passer in the world. But if I put him out there, I know this roster is bad. I can still win games. We can still make the playoffs. And then when we get to the playoffs and things are on the line, like the trick play they pulled against the Buccaneers, that's when I'll put Jameis in because at that point, we're already here. We've already gotten to the playoffs. Let's go win this one for Drew. And so my conspiracy theory is that the whole Saints organization basically kind of bent the knee for Drew Brees this past year. But what you're saying then is they they couldn't play Jameis because they were afraid he's going to be good. So then they played the guy that Sean Payton says is the next Steve Young. Yeah, and I think Sean has to say that to hedge himself, right? Because... There's there's no logic on the surface in playing Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston in a vacuum, right? We all agree with that. And Sean Payton looked like a genius in the sense that they won four games in a row, which again included two games against the Falcons, a game against the Niners, and a game against a team literally without a quarterback. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Taysom Hill line is funny, but I, I believe that Sean Payton gassed up Taysom Hill to kind of fit the narrative. And I would, I would, if I was feeling particularly conspiracy theoristical, whatever, um, I would go as far as saying the reason that they even tendered Taysom Hill was to protect that narrative entering the season. I think that 
talk is cheap. It's easy for Sean Payton to say that he's the next Steve Young, but they also paid Taysom Hill. And they That's paid him. It was a ruse. <laughs> they paid him more than just a gadget player. And I think that while I agree, Drew Brees, if he was that hurt, should never have been in the lineup to begin with. I think that Sean Payton said, we can't put Jameis in there because our our team and lineup and roster is so good. As long as we don't turn it over, we'll win enough games. And that's the one thing Jameis cannot stop doing is turning it over. So Sean Payton went to Taysom Hill because he thinks he's the next Steve Young and because he thinks, if nothing else, he won't give the ball to the other team. See, my clapback for that is that one point is very logical. But the other points that everything the Saints have done to this point don't make sense or jive with that, right? Like tendering Taysom Hill, hyping him up as much as they did. And if that was the case, and I know I'm really leaning on an incredibly small sample size, then why go to Jameis? If if the whole point is, right, like to mitigate turnovers, why the one time you're going to call on Jameis, have it be in the most important circumstance of all in a playoff game against a division rival? Well, who else could they have turned to, though? Taysom Hill was out. He wasn't active. So he was the only other quarterback they could go to. Again, all part of the ruse. That's it's all. I'm telling you, I admitted it was a conspiracy theory. I I will be fascinated because if Jameis Winston is QB one for the Saints next year, assuming Drew Brees does retire, I think that that corroborates the idea to a degree. Because why wouldn't why would Taysom Hill not be the guy then? You know, it right. It it was Taysom Hill kind of represented the protection of Drew Brees in my mind. Yeah, I agree that Taysom's got to be the guy next year. Otherwise, you just look like complete fools. And I would never, ever, ever make Jameis Winston my starting quarterback ever again, no matter which team I was. Like, the guy has shown who he is, and who he is is a walking, talking turnover. So that would be the end of Jameis Winston. I don't know. I, I can't. I can't buy into your conspiracy theory. I thought theory. you of all people would buy into it. I was so pumped about this. I am tired of talking about a loser organization, and that's Ooh. what the Saints are. Ooh. Okay, I don't care about the regular season. When you get to the playoffs, the Saints lose playoff games that they should win. Those are the facts that is not in dispute. They were at home, they were favored, and they lost, just like they do basically every freaking year except for one, when they actually make the playoffs and when they don't go 7-9. and nine. By the way, the New Orleans Saints team that won the Super Bowl, their first loss that season to the Dallas Cowboys. No big deal. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's, that's really here nor there, but I'm glad that you feel good about squeezing it in. That's right, baby. I mean, Let's get to the other quarterback situation I want to talk about, and that happens in the AFC North because... I I heard two comments yesterday that I thought were really telling when you look at them back to back. The first came from the Baltimore Ravens, and they were asked about Lamar Jackson because he's going to be due for a new contract soon. And what John Harbaugh said was that he was, quote, totally certain the Ravens will sign Lamar Jackson to a long-term deal. He didn't know if it was going to be this year or next year, but he was, quote, totally certain. Great answer. Shuts down all the potential talk of what they might do and any of that. Go to the Cleveland Browns. Andrew Barry is their GM. He was asked about Baker Mayfield. And he said, quote, there will be plenty of time for those discussions with all the 2021 decisions. I think it's probably just easier to say that I'm really pleased with Baker's performance, really pleased with what he's done this year. We wouldn't be here without his contributions. Do you notice a difference in those two statements, RJ? Um, so if I was being super rational and not at all willing to dance, I would say, well, John Harbaugh has a little bit more sway within his organization, you know, given his tenure, I know he's not the general manager. Um, that would be my logical response. However, I'm obviously in tinfoil hat season, so I'm ready to like, that's normal dancing right now. I'm ready to dance like, um, like Lieutenant Colonel Slater in Ascent of a Woman, you know, when he dances um, and he gets the coordinates to dance blindly. You know what I'm talking about? No. You've never seen Scent of a Woman without Pacino? Maybe like 20 years ago. Stats. Oh, my. Anyway, whatever. Homework assignment for you. Uh, it's one of the true only Thanksgiving movies that there are, but I digress. Anyway, um, 
So I wrote something recently at Blogging the Boys um, because Dak Prescott is doing a new contract. Obviously not the same draft class as these two guys. By the way, Josh Allen is and clearly going to be getting a new contract extension. Um, I do find the answers to be very different, certainly. Um, I think it's easier to openly and publicly commit to Lamar, given that he has an MVP on his mantle. I know he's never made it past the division around of the playoffs, which Baker hasn't either. Um, but I don't see any... like. I could kind of get on board a little bit deeper with a conspiracy here if Baker had underperformed this year. And and while I realize he wasn't amazing, I think Baker Mayfield really cemented himself as a star quarterback, as a franchise quarterback in the NFL this year. Well, think about what Baker did, taking the Browns to the playoffs. They hadn't been in forever long. We all know the jersey, that whole thing. And I thought he played well. He played well in the playoff game, too. They didn't win, but I thought he was fine. And it just strikes me that through all that adversity and all the quarterback hell that the Browns have been through since they've come back in 1999, Baker does what no other guy before him has been able to do. And the Browns say, eh, we'll see. Like, there's certain questions that when you get asked, there's only one response. And anything other than that response tells you all you need to know. If I ask you if you're going to marry me, (laughs) <laughs> what do I want to hear you say, right? There's only one thing that, that comes out of your mouth. If it's not yes, then you don't want to marry me. That's what that means, right? By the way, I love the, like, when someone, a guy asks and the girl's, like, freaking out, and then she doesn't, like, actually literally answer. You know what I mean? She's, like, hugging him and kissing him. And he's like, so wait a minute. Just to be clear here, the answer is yes, <laughs> right? Like, you know, anyway. Um, so the other two things I would offer here are I I could see this as a – because some some NFL dudes, especially like longtime scouts and guys that kind of live and die in that world, are very literal, right? Like, we're not going to talk about contracts right now. You know, where there's a, do- a time and a place where we're going to open the door for contract conversations with everybody. And maybe Baker just kind of falls in that line. But you're right. I mean, if it's your franchise quarterback, especially if you have been wandering in the abyss trying to find one, you would imagine that that would be an exception of sorts. Um, the other thing is, like, what would the... Like let's pl- let's play that out, right? Like say they're not sold on Baker. What is the option? Like you know, like I, I would I could kind of understand if this answer, if the situation, the the details were the same, and this was Tua and the Dolphins. Like we've kind of heard, right? Because you're in striking distance to to have a, an answer there. But the Browns don't have that, so I can't imagine that they're like a Houston Texans level of dumb to just create their own problem. And he was asked, not not just are you going to give him a long-term contract extension, he was asked about just picking up the fifth-year option, which is one year. He wouldn't even commit to that. That, to me, says that the Browns are not sold on Baker Mayfield at all. Well, they have to do that this offseason. And the other thing that I would also consider, I know this wouldn't affect like his cap number, but we are about to enter an offseason that is in, been impacted by COVID in terms of a salary cap. And so maybe the thought process is, okay, Baker's only entering year four. We have the fifth year option. Worst case scenario, we have the franchise tag twice, whatever. We have a lot of years of team control before we have to pony up and maybe give him some cash right now. Maybe we're cash strapped in this moment. And that doesn't sound like a good idea because we want to be active players elsewhere. So I could, I could, that actually makes the most sense to me. Uh, but I do love a good conspiracy theory as evidenced by today's conversation. And speaking of quarterbacks, as we move on, we'll stake in the AFC. The big news of the day is that Phillip Rivers is walking away from not just the Indianapolis Colts, but the NFL as a whole. He released a statement, which was fantastic. It had the word dadgummit in it, which it's a Phillip Rivers statement. So, of course, it did. We wanted to get a little extra perspective on Philip Rivers and his career, so we went to San Diego to talk to a man in Josh Lewin, who was the voice of the San Diego Chargers for basically the prime of Philip Rivers' career. We caught up with him earlier, so here's our interview with Josh Lewin. How are you, Josh? Great to be here, Rob. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and it's uh, obviously a, a big day. I mean, it's not the biggest news of the day by far nationally or internationally but for Chargers fans I mean it's, it's a day we all knew was coming and uh, it's here and he, he rides off in the sunset still without that Super Bowl ring which is a shame but fifth all time in passing yards I think it is and I, I think a Hall of Fame career. Now we've seen Philip Rivers the player and we we've seen the things he's done on the field and he's been great but in terms of just 
characters and people in the history of the NFL. I mean, he is one of the all-time greats, you know, just going out, trash talking, wearing the bolo tie in the press conferences. I'm sure you got to interact with him more than most. What is your sort of favorite Philip Rivers story? Well, they, they all kind of jumble together, but you hit on all the keynotes. I mean, just a genuine guy. And, you know, it was, was never a put on. This is the most PG rated, fun uh, human being that I've ever met. And, you know, just the, the spirit of competition would just grip him so fully. And I think those that didn't know him oftentimes got the exact wrong idea. I thought he was some punk uh, or, or whatever. He just so enjoyed competing. And I would think it's like, you know, we've all seen that guy or, or been with that guy and, and pick up basketball. It just, you know, loves talking. But when it's done, he's the guy that's, that's buying the beverages or, you know, just kind of hanging out with you and, and just, you know, recapping what happened. Uh, just an absolute swell guy. You know, I mean, it is, if I can put it in PG uh, parlance for you. I mean, I know that it, it didn't always look like that, but he just absolutely loved his job and worked at it harder than anybody I ever saw in football. Josh, I think that's well said. I've always thought of, of Philip as kind of like the Pixar of NFL quarterbacks, like, you know, cartoony in in nature and in, in, in that he's like, uh, you know, acceptable to children and things like that, but still really full of heart and really full of something sometimes spicy and funny and whatever the case may be. And, and really, I think, underrated um, overall. I, I hope that landed with you. But um, everybody knows about the torn ACL game. Um, that's that's kind of one of the most famous Philip Rivers moments. But you saw obviously so much more Philip Rivers football than most. What's, what's kind of a game or a moment that, that you feel like isn't talked about enough from Philip? Maybe, maybe it was just one quarter or one drive or something, but it could have been week six in a regular season that just kind of doesn't get the same lure that that particular playoff moment does. You know, you know what's funny is the only Chargers game I ever missed was a conflict with a, uh, a playoff game. I'd even, even been a World Series game when I was doing the Mets, and I couldn't get to Green Bay. And they lost that game, but he threw for something like 531 yards. And they only scored 24 points, which is impossible. Keenan Allen was on his way to like a 25 catch day. They couldn't cover him. He was targeted 15 times, caught 14. And that was in basically two and a quarter quarters. And then he got hurt. Um, th there were a lot of games like that where he just put the team on his back and never got great protection after the 14 and two season, which is the year they really should have won it all. There were a lot of other seasons where they, they came close, but you know, it was top of my head. There was a game in Houston where his number one receiver ended up being Shea, uh, Ajira Tutu, you know, he was like number six on the depth chart and he threw two late fourth quarter touchdowns to Ajira Tutu to somehow beat the Texans. And, uh, you know, he'd do stuff like that. And because it was San Diego against Houston, nobody really paid attention, but that's just stunning stuff. And he would do that all the time. A lot of times with the decimated offensive line uh, after LT left, you know, sometimes he had no running game. He just found a way, never complained about it and was a consummate teammate. You mentioned the 14 and two year. I think that people view would view Philip Rivers career totally differently. If he, if he had either a gotten to a Super Bowl or B won one, do you think if they had been able to work things out with Marty Schottenheimer that he eventually would have gotten over the top? Well, you know, the, the game that just killed him, obviously, is that, that game against New England in that 14-2 and two season where they basically did about 14 things wrong. Everybody remembers the Marlon McCree incident, and, they, you know, there were, it was a Drayton Florence headbutt. I mean, I could go down the whole list. But they got wiped out way too early as a, as a one seed that year. And the year that they actually got to the AFC title game, you know, that, that was just some bad luck. I mean, that's not only was Phillip playing with a torn MCL, which is incredible, but he didn't have Gates. He didn't have LT. Uh, you know, he just he had Michael Turner and, you know, just the, the supporting cast of not a lot. And they still had more scores than New England that day. The problem was it was four field goals to get to 12. And New England had three touchdowns to get to 21. And Norv decided to, to punt the ball with nine and a half minutes to go. And they never got the ball back trailing by nine. They just one third down completion after another. So uh, things like that, where he would get close and it just wouldn't happen. And I have no doubt that they would have uh, found a way to, to win that Super Bowl had they gotten there. They, they just, they didn't get there. And that was a David Tyree catch for the giants that year to, to win the Super Bowl instead. So 
Um, it, it's unfortunate. Yeah. You know, people say, well, Eli's a, a lock to go in because he's got the Super Bowl rings and, you know, you give, give Philip one and he'd be a lock too. Instead, we're going to have this goofy debate about it. But uh, th- to me, he was a Hall of Famer. Uh, the moment he got to 50,000 passing yards and he ends up with something like 64,000. So I'm, I'm good. Phillips signed his retirement statement with, I believe I'm pronouncing this correctly, Nunk Cuppy. I've heard him talk about this before. Um, and as I understand it, it kind of embodies the the way he looks at life, which to everything you've said is is really just about um, centering himself within his faith and, and his approach to his, his family and his teammates, the consummate teammate, as you said. Um, is that something that you know, was apparent even, you know, during TV timeouts and things like that, things that only you saw, uh, Philip just kind of embodying this, you know, life is about moving on and new beginnings in every capacity. Yeah. And basically play the ball where it lies, you know, to put it in, in golf terms and that, you know, Noom Coepi, uh, and I didn't take Latin. I learned it from Philip <laughs> Rivers for God's sake. I learned Latin from Philip Rivers. Let that sink in. Uh, but it, it means now I begin. You know, it means that this is where I'm going to start from is right now. And that could mean the next play. That could mean the next game. For now, it means the next page of his career. I hope he gets into radio or TV. I think he'd be just an absolute killer in that space. Uh, you know, he, he's going to be the, the next great. I mean, it's like, you know, Tony Romo, but with the Alabama accent. You know, I, <laughs> I think it could really be something great for the game. Uh, you know, total family man, total community minded civic-minded individual uh, you know I, I can't say enough great things about him and uh, when, when you read the comments from all of his teammates today and i'm sure in coming days you'll know it's not just uh, the radio guy that says that i mean he really made a difference to a lot of people speaking of broadcasters i gotta say i think philip rivers like sharpened you as a broadcaster because every game philip rivers did they'd get the ball back with like two minutes to go no timeouts down four. That was like every week for you with Philip Rivers. You're, you're exactly right. And only about one out of four times towards the end would they actually stick it in the end zone. You know, I mean, and so it, it got a little unfortunate a lot of the times. And I actually, you know, jumped off the gig before it got even worse. I mean, you know, the, the litany of one score games that they lost even this year without him was just just ridiculous. But yeah, you know, and it's funny because I, I distinctly remember uh, you know, my first year when Drew Brees was still the quarterback and we were calling him Phil, you know, we, we didn't know that he was Philip Rivers. We just, you know, well, you know, we'll never see the backup Phil Rivers uh, because we, we never had to, you know, Drew Brees was the man. And then he got hurt the very last game of the year against Denver, uh, chasing a ball that was rolling around in the end zone. And that is how Philip Rivers came to be. And then if, if you look back at his first real start, I mean, they, they gave him a a nonsense start some week 17 before I got there and I missed that. But uh, when he opened that next season, they did major training wheels for him. I think it was something like, uh, I mean, I just off the top of my head, but I think he was something like 10 for 13 against the Raiders. It was a 27, nothing shutout to open the season. They beat the Raiders. They didn't let him do squat. You know, they just said hand off to LT and, and that's it, you know, and, uh, only as that season unfurled did we understand, okay, you know what? They had the right guy all along. This guy can absolutely bring it. And th- there were, there, there were some good moments where he'd rally the team. There were unfortunately more moments where it, it would die just a little bit short and he'd take off the helmet and have that look on his face that everybody came to know so well. Uh, you know, he, he deserved a lot more than he got. And, and that goes, that goes for accolades that goes for trophies but, uh, you know, every teammate would jump up and say he was the, the, the best quarterback I ever worked with. I think he also was the victim of bad luck might not be the best way to term it. But, you know, he's he has the misfortune of Peyton Manning choosing the AFC West, has, has the misfortune of Patrick Mahomes being drafted by the Chiefs and um, obviously dealing with a lot of things within the Chargers. And I, I mean, dealt with a lot of change, dealt with a, a city change, you know, like so much was made about the Rams moving. I mean, obviously, um, you know, moving within the state is, is not this exact same thing, but still, I mean, a big deal. Um, I'll, I'll allow you to say that it's too soon to tell if you want to, you know, take that. But uh, people are going to ask whether Philip is a Hall of Famer or not. Is he the greatest quarterback in Chargers history? Obviously, there is a Hall of Famer in the franchise's, um, you know, accolades. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a tough one. You know, Dan Fouts uh, never got him to a Super Bowl. Stan Humphreys did. You know, Fouts put up great numbers at a time when the passing game obviously wasn't what it is now. And Justin Herbert could end up being the best of everybody, you know, the, the way he started out. But 
there was a time, you know, and it lasted a good chunk of years where the numbers 17, 21, and 85 would kind of stand in tandem at Qualcomm Stadium, you know, and you love that holy trinity of Rivers, Gates, and Tomlinson. And nationally, it didn't get a lot of play, but man, you can't. And then when, you know, when Sean Merriman showed up, that, you know, that number 56 jersey started popping on the defensive side of the field. People loved that. You know, th those were four celebrities in San Diego for about a half a decade together. And uh, it, it was a great time that they, they never won everything that they should have won. And that's super unfortunate. But, uh, you know, Philip definitely is the standard bearer of that era, was always a spokesperson of the team. And uh, yes, he, I mean, he's a Hall of Fame human being, but I think the stats are, to me, it's an easy rolling putt to, to say this guy's a Hall of Famer. You've talked a little bit of golf here. What's Phillip's golf game like? Do you know? Or, I mean, you know, because he's it's got time now. I, yeah, I, I'm not much of a golfer, so I never was with him, never never played. I heard, I mean, he's good at everything, you know, ping pong and <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, you know, what he's got time for now, I, he'll either coach or he'll broadcast. I mean, football is just so much in his blood. And, uh, you know, people make the jokes about how he's got his own football team because he's got the nine kids and a wife. <laughs> you know, they got 11, so strap it up. But uh, he'll find time to do something in the game. I just think it means too much to him. Well, Josh, we really appreciate you taking the time to share some of your memories. Philip Rivers, I always called him a cowboy quarterback because he seemed like he was plucked out of the Wild West and put on the field. We appreciate you sharing some memories and, uh, and just your experiences with hopefully a Hall of Famer. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys. It's been a fun day to, to kind of reminisce. It's been a fun day in many ways today. So uh, thanks for looking me up. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Josh. We really appreciate the time. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will dive in full championship game mode, the Battle of the Bays, Tampa Bay and Green Bay, and of course, Buffalo and Kansas City after the break. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the SB Nation NFL show. This is The Look Ahead with Rob Stats, Guerrero, and RJ Ochoa. All right, RJ, it is time. Let us dive into these games elbow deep. We'll start with the NFC. It's the first game that's going to be played on championship weekend. It is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to the frozen tundra to take on the Packers of Green Bay. I am less excited for this game, which means I'm more excited for the other. Um, so this is kind of like the food I don't want to eat so I can get to the dessert I really want to eat. You know what I'm saying? Um, mostly because I don't think this is going to be a game. I I know that I have had some comments on Bruce Arians this year on our network, um, and I stand by them. And I know that there are some people who will be like, well, look, they made the NFC Championship game. What do you have to say now? You know what I have to say? Like, this has been one of the easiest paths to the NFC Championship game ever um i mean you go through the washington football team who's on their like arguably fourth quarterback um <laughs> you know uh, granted, wasn't even 500 right granted he played very well in that specific game and then you get i i think there's an argument to be made that of the 14 playoff teams we have seen um that drew Brees today in terms of who he has been is the worst quarterback. And so, I mean, that doesn't really impress me that you beat those two teams. Congratulations. I know the Bucks defense is good, but I, it sucks. I hate this because I'm a Cowboys fan and Aaron Rodgers has ruined my life, but the dude is a baller and the dude is right now a demigod. Like he's operating on a level that nobody else is. And what's like scary is he's laughing and having fun and now has emotions. And so he's become, he's like a, he's like the killer robot that has become self-aware. And so I'm very scared of him. And I, I think he's going to wipe the floor with the bucks rather easily. See, I love this game because it's a legacy game. It's mm. it's a legacy game for Tom Brady, who is trying to make his 10th Super Bowl. Just say it, 10 Super Bowls. Do you know that if he wins this game and gets to the 10th championship game, for lack of a better term, he will be the second athlete in the last 30 years to do that? Do you have any idea who the other athlete is? LeBron James. 
That is correct. Congratulations. <laughs> He's yeah. the only other guy in the last three decades to play in 10 championship games. That's what's at stake for Tom Brady. And for Aaron Rodgers, there's a ton at stake also because – He's only been to one Super Bowl in his career, and he's won it. To get to another Super Bowl would be massive for him. He is trying to put himself in the conversation of, with the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And if you've only been to one and you only have one ring, you can't get into that room. The bouncer is not letting you pass the velvet rope. He wants to get past that velvet rope. He needs at least another Super Bowl appearance and probably a couple more rings. And I think he knows that. You've seen him this season say, hey, I should have a couple more MVPs. He's aware of his place in history and what this game means. So I like legacy games like this because careers are made in the regular season. Legacies are made now in the playoffs. So there's a lot at stake for both of the quarterbacks. Your wants and needs speech um, gave me a few good men vibes. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, you want me on that wall. You know, he needs me on that wall. Um, I agree with you. I do think, and I think some of this is the the COVID impact in terms of fan attendance. We are real, like when the Minnesota Vikings were in the NFC Championship game before Super Bowl 52, it was constant, you know, a team could host the Super Bowl, right? Like, uh, you know, that's not a real story this week. I have found that really interesting. Something I wanted to play with you stats uh, with regards to our final four teams is if you can see, or rather, um, I want to see if you can guess the last time that each of them lost uh, this season, of course. So the last game that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost off the top of your head, I did not prep stats at all for this, which is always what yields the best results. I'll let you, I'll let you guess either the week or the team. You can guess either one. I think the team is probably easier, but it's up to you. Do you like, uh, my point is, if, if you want to guess a random number, you can do that. I guess the, is the last game Tampa lost to the Saints? Wrong. Um, they lost to the Saints on in week nine, and they lost two games after that. So uh, directly after that, they beat the Carolina Panthers on the road, and then they lost two games in a row. They lost to the Los Angeles Rams, which really kind of had people starting to believe in L.A. again. And then they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. That one I thought you were going to get, if I'm being honest with you. It's kind of a blur for me at this point, honestly. Uh, I'm not going to be very good at this game. So, so their last loss was in week 12 before the bye. Um, now, the Green Bay Packers, what was the last game that they lost? I did not. Like, I kind of played this game with myself, and I did not know this one. Didn't they lose to Tampa Bay? They did. That was their first loss of the season in week six. They lost two games after that. I have no idea. So two weeks after that, they lost to the Minnesota Vikings. Remember, that was the big Dalvin Cook game. And, you know, there was a lot. of yeah. um, And so that was week eight. Their, their most recent loss was in week 11. It was an overtime loss to on the road. They haven't been there in eight years. Tennessee? Same division, but you were so close. Uh, they beat Tennessee. They smashed them on Sunday Night Football. Uh, the, oh, that's right. The Indianapolis Colts. That was their most recent loss. So weeks. So the Bucks' most recent loss was in week 12. Meanwhile, the Packers' most recent loss was in week 11. So Green Bay technically riding a longer win streak as far as time is concerned. But the Bucks have obviously played one more game because they did not have to buy. And what's your point? I just think that's interesting. I, I think that I, I think it's more interesting with regards to a team in the AFC championship to kind of, you know, spoil the whole purpose of the game. Uh, okay. But I, I, I couldn't play it for one game and not the other. Um, so All right. well, <laughs> let's let's not I don't want to jump to the AFC just yet, because I think there's more meat on this bone. You were talking about how oh, you're not impressed by Arians. And I kind of agree. But go to the other sideline. Matt LaFleur. I feel like when Matt LaFleur was hired, he was kind of like, it was kind of like laughed at, like, oh, here's another Sean McVay guy, right. you know, another young guy. These owners are so dumb, or these teams are so dumb. They're just hiring anybody close to Sean McVay. Well, all Matt LaFleur has done is go 13 and three every year and go to the NFC Championship game every year. He has been a home run hire for the Green Bay Packers. They nailed it. I promise. To the listener, not to stats. I don't care if stats thinks this. I do not always try to make everything about the Dallas Cowboys. However, obviously, the most recent Green Bay Packers head coach, whom they fired, Mike McCarthy, is now the head coach of the Cowboys. So this past Monday, um, the day after the Packers had clinched their NFC championship berth, I, I wrote a big article. I did a YouTube video of this on the Blog and the Boys YouTube channel about you know whether Cowboys fans should be worried, given the success, because it's supremely high of the Packers in the time post him. Um, 
and I, I, I don't want to at all take away from the credit that we should rightfully be assigning to Matt LaFleur. But I do think that Mike McCarthy, um, I think that the Packers took a long and hard look in the mirror and, and he was kind of the face of, of that organizational shift. And I, I heard on a fantastic show that I love the oddcast. Uh, my, my good friend BLG really was gassing up Zedarius Smith, right? One of the best players on the Packers and one of the biggest reasons why their defense is now a legitimate factor for them. The Packers never spent on players in free agency prior to the spring of 2019. But what happens? They, they break up with Mike McCarthy. They start hitting the gym. They start eating right. They start going to bed early. And what's the NFL version of that? You know, they get Matt LaFleur, great home run hire, as you said. They dial in offensively. They realize that Aaron Jones is a star player. You know, Devontae Adams gets on track to being the best wide receiver in the NFL. And they start spending money on the defensive side of the ball, not just in Zedaria Smith, but in Preston Smith. That has gone a long way at really, you know, establishing who they are and helping them. I don't want to say close games because they really just cruise through this, uh, but just being this well-rounded force. And they weren't that always. And so I I totally agree with you. Matt LaFleur deserves all the credit in the world. But I think the Packers as a whole, when the Mike McCarthy fiasco happened, they rightfully looked internally and said, OK, we have a lot of problems. Let's address all of them, which includes the head coach. That's fair. That is totally fair, because I think it's you can't argue with the fact that they started operating differently after Mike McCarthy left, which I, I think if they had an owner, that would have happened sooner. Because they would have had somebody at the top to say, hey, you know, clunk some heads together and get your get yourselves in gear here. But they finally did do it and they are reaping the benefits right now. And no one even cares that they drafted Jordan Love in the first round because they are rolling. They are favored in this game by three and a half points. You think they're going to roll? I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I really don't. I, I Packers defense is good, but like I, I'm confident in how Tom Brady is playing. I think Green Bay is going to win. It could be a field goal game. Oh, man. I think I'll take the Packers and I'll lay the points. I'm thinking here, we have not seen so far this season or this playoff season a game won or decided on a last second field goal, right? Like we've seen some some close finishes, but we haven't seen that particular one. Um I don't think that happens here, <laughs> to, to be clear. I just think that's interesting because uh, generally we've gotten that and we've even had two extra games to this point. Um, I, I think the Packers win with authority. I think that they've kind of put this thing away, kind of maybe eight or so minutes left in the fourth quarter. We get a great sideline shot of Aaron Rodgers smiling, celebrating his second Super Bowl appearance. And um, I think that for another year, the host team in the Super Bowl does not get to do it. Womp womp. Who cares about that, by the way? Like, what is the big deal? The That's Super Bowl, Bowl is not filled with real fans. It's filled with people that have connections, sponsors, and <laughs> friends of people of the network that's hosting the game. It's but, not, it's, it doesn't matter. It's not like that would be a home game for the Buccaneers if they were to make it. Let me offer two points on this. One d- directly related to your point, another kind of a cousin of it. It would really suck. So this year, uh, the NFC is the home team, right? It would really suck if the AFC had been the home team, right? And you're the Bucks. You're the first team to ever do it. And then you got to get dressed in your visiting locker room. You know what I mean? Like, that would really suck if, if that were the case. Um, so that's one point. My second point is I'm fortunate in my career to have been to a, you know, a couple of Super Bowl radio rows. You have two as well, Stats. And one of the cool, fun things to do is go to the big merch, you know, like, center that the nfl has right it's like a warehouse size depends on the city uh but it's super awesome all the stuff that has super bowl on it whatever this is a pet peeve of mine so let's say the packers do make it to the super bowl they will be the home team which means they'll wear their green jerseys in all likelihood uh they will have the super bowl 55 patch when they wear them um two sundays from this coming one um which by the way we should get back to the like unique patches i think we would both love that that you know existed for a long time but whatever anyway I hate when people buy the white version, in this case, of the Packers jersey with the Super Bowl patch because they did not, in this hypothetical, they did not wear that jersey in that Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Like, that bothers me. Yeah, and why do they even sell it? It's like when people walk around with Yankees jerseys with last names on the back. Like, no, stop That's a good point, too. That's that's another good one. You're not a real fan if you do that. 
Yeah. It, like if you have a red Patrick Mahomes jersey with the Super Bowl logo on it from last year, that makes all the sense in the world because he wore that jersey in that game and he won it and was MVP. Good for you. But if you have a white one, why didn't you get red? Yeah, that's just that's that's my point there. That's all. That's that's my soapbox. Suspect. I totally agree with you. All right, let's go to the AFC now. It's Bills, it's Chiefs, it's Josh Allen, it's Patrick Mahomes. This is like the showcase attraction. The AFC is by far the superior conference. And this could just be, I, I am hoping that we just see an absolute shootout. Give me like a 50 to 49 game. I am all in for that. So obviously I think every football fan, even Bills fans to a small degree, I think are, is hoping that Patrick Mahomes plays in this game, right? Um, I want to start off with my game. So the, the Bucks and Packers had lost most recently in weeks 11 and 12. I will tell you that the Bills and Chiefs, each of their most recent loss came before that. So they are riding longer winning streaks than the two teams that we mentioned. Let's start with the Chiefs, if you don't mind, Stats. What was their most recent loss? And for the record, we will avoid the Chargers loss because that was week 17. So you know the team. And now if you can guess the week. The Raiders. That's the team. <laughs> Let's see if you can guess. The, what, what was their record when they lost? They were what? No. Nine and oh, it was very early. They were four and oh when they yeah. lost to the Las Vegas okay. Raiders. Um, so again, riding a huge win streak, technically lost to the Chargers in week 17, whatever that one's a little bit harder to qualify. What was the last game that the Buffalo Bills lost? <sighs> Did they lose the week before they played the 49ers? They won the week before they played the 49ers, they beat the Chargers. Uh, I don't know, it's got to be like week eight. It's a little bit after that. So they have three losses on the season. They, lo- they got smashed by the Titans in week five. Um, the following week, they lost to the Chiefs in a game that was supposed to be played on Thursday that got bumped right. to Monday when the league first started to see all the reschedulings. But their most recent loss was the Hale Murray. Think oh, about that. Right. That's nuts that that's their most, if, if not for a fluke freak play, their most recent loss would be to the team that they are meeting in the AFC title game, much like the Chiefs situation a year ago when they got to play the Titans. They've been incredible this year. Buffalo has been absolutely fantastic. They have a smart defensive head coach. See, I talked about this on Tuesday about how if you could, the holy grail of head coaching hires is to get a guy that complements your greatest strength. That's what the Patriots had with Bill Belichick, defensive genius, and Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. I think that's kind of what the Bills have. They have an incredible quarterback in Josh Allen, and they've paired him with a great defensive head coach in Sean McDermott. That is that is holy grail. That is the Venn diagram. You know, that is the middle of the Venn diagram. And it's paid off this year because they've done enough on defense, and Josh Allen is just lighting fools up. I agree completely. I know last week I said that Jim Johnson doesn't get enough credit. We Last week was the like every coach in the playoffs is from the Andy Reid tree and not to take anything away from Andy Reid, but Jim Johnson, one of the greatest defensive coordinators of all time, somebody that Sean McDermott learned at the foot of. And so, I mean, and th- this is this is a defensive mind, I think, that has flustered a lot of great quarterbacks. In fact, the quarterback that will be on the call for this game in Tony Romo never beat Sean McDermott's defenses. He he had trouble with Jim Johnson's in Philadelphia. He struggled against Sean McDermott in Carolina. And in fact, the last game that Tony Romo ever played was a Thanksgiving loss against Sean McDermott's Carolina Panthers when he was the defensive coordinator there. And so I'm not saying that, you know, because Romo couldn't do it, Patrick Mahomes can't. But here's the other thing, stats. The the penalty that wasn't called last week against Kansas City and Dan Sorensen, the the rule, I know you and BLG think the rule's fine, whatever, but the rule's stupid, the rule sucks. The the whole point is that there were some fluky things that happened in that game um, against Cleveland. And so, I mean, wh- where Buffalo is not demolishing teams, but winning with legitimate authority, I thought their win against Baltimore was really authoritative. Kansas City is still just, I mean, you know, living on the edge and i think that they haven't played a team who's capable of smashing that door down like buffalo is i literally you took it out of my notes when is the last time the chiefs played a team that's capable of going shot for shot punch for punch with them i don't think they have i think that the last time truly was 
the Raiders. And and not, not that the Raiders are capable of that, but the Raiders are, and I mean this nicely, I promise, they're they're like they're not smart enough to know better. You know what I mean? Because they're not this great team and like they they have this little brother syndrome. And I'm an only child, so I can't verify this, but in my experience, little brother feels invincible when he's going up against big brother simply because the win is that necessary and coveted. You know what I mean? Like you're willing to, you know, go to extra lengths and, and kind of risk yourself because the win means that much. And I think we've seen the Raiders play the Chiefs like that in recent times, including the game that they lost to them. If I'm Sean McDermott, when I call the team in this week, here's my message to the team. Oh, God, I'm excited. Here we go. Men, I'm telling you right now, there's no kicks in this game. We're not punting and we're not kicking field goals. That is it. That is what we're doing. If you try and and stretch the game out and run the play clock down and move the change, it never works against the Chiefs. It does not work. There's one way to beat them. And that is to go, for lack of a better phrase, balls to the wall for the entire 60 minutes. If you're Buffalo and it's fourth and five or less, you go for it every single time. Every time. I don't care where you are in the field. Fourth and five or less, you go for it. If you cross the 50, you go for it basically no matter what. Unless it's like fourth and 15, if you are across the 50, you are going for it. I've said it on the podcast. I've said it anywhere that there has been a microphone in front of me. Field goals are failures, especially when you're playing against a team like the Chiefs. No field goals, no punts. That's it. That's how you beat them. So I um, am a fan. This doesn't happen all the time. and I, But I think it's a mark of brilliance when head coaches learn from their opponents and specifically when they steal from them, especially in, you know, playoff situations. Um, I know you're not a fan of this person, but I think Sean Payton deserves a lot of credit for, for ripping that play off the Chicago bears, you know, especially in the playoffs, you know, a, a play that by the way, served as the foundation for an incredible conspiracy theory that one particular NFL analyst has floated out this week. Um, but to that point, you know, the, the coach that, with the exception of Andy Reid's heroic fourth and inches play call, the coach that from start to finish has coached with the most reckless abandon this postseason is who stats. I'm going to assume Sean McDermott. That is wrong. Frank Reich, Frank Reich in the game that they lost. I know you and I agreed on this. He coached with reckless abandon. He got killed for not taking the field goal at the end of the first half. Why? Because field goals are failures. Frank Reich knew, or at least assumed, that the Bills, who were fire offensively the week before against Miami, were going to come out and just score points, 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 points. Now, that didn't happen, but I agree completely with the disposition that he had. And everybody at the end said, oh, yeah, well, if he had those three more points, they would have tied and gone to overtime. Well, if he had the freaking touchdown, they would have won the game. Right. And, and, and so that's that's the type I, – I, I hope because I'll be frank, uh, not rank, but frank in general. Uh, I'm rooting for the Bills because I like this story the most. And look, the Chiefs are wonderful. And if they go to the Super Bowl, it'll be a fine game as well. But I'm not ready to see the Bills season end. And I really hope that Sean McDermott took a page out of that book that he learned from Frank Reich and said, you know what? We we got lucky. We dodged that game because Frank Reich coached balls to the wall, like my man Stats had to say. It's my turn to do that because there's a ticket to the Super Bowl on the line, and we won it. Yeah, and look, the 49ers tried that in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs last year. Kyle Shanahan was shitting his pants, worried about the Chiefs' offense. And you know what he did? He puckered up, he turtled up, and he got scared. At the end of the first half, the 49ers had the ball with like, I think it was like a minute left. And what did they do? They tried to run out the damn clock. And then when they broke a long run, then they said, oh, no, now we have to try and go for it. And they weren't able to pull it off. First drive of the third quarter. They go all the way down the field. I think it's like fourth and three. What do they do? They kick the field goal. Kyle Shanahan was afraid to risk anything because they were in a good position and they had the lead and he was scared. That is why they lost. You have to be aggressive against them. That's the only way to beat them. And I really, really hope that Sean McDermott does that. I hope he doesn't say like, oh, no, the Super Bowl is on the line and the Bills haven't been here forever. No, do not do that. Look at how Andy Reid coached last week. That's how you got to do it. You ever play a video game stats and like it's a really hard level or whatever, 
and you almost kind of like hover above yourself like like you're you you like you kind of go on autopilot because you have to separate the stress of the moment from the physical activity that's required to beat the level. You know what I'm talking about? Like that that's certainly happened at one point or another. That's how you have to coach this game. But because like it's almost like if you if you refocus your eyes, you know what I mean? You lose the the like the moment. Does that make sense? And so you you can't refocus. Like you have to live in the haze and live in the fun and live in the like ecstasy of it. And that's what I really hope that Sean McDermott does. I, I also think we I mean, I know we are assuming Patrick Mahomes plays, but even if he does play and, you know, certainly want to see Patrick Mahomes healthy, I don't think he's healthy with this foot issue. I mean, nobody's like 100 percent healthy, but I just I don't know. I think the Chiefs, they, they can only be gotten when they are weakened and they are weakened at their most important spot. I also will say I think Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the NFL. I think that's totally true. But I think the biggest X factor of non quarterbacks this week is is Stephon Diggs because that dude is just different. And that dude makes that whole offense sing. And he makes what might be with Patrick Mahomes dinged up the second best quarterback in the playoffs. He he's like the Nas to Josh Allen's, you know, super souped up race car. It's amazing. And he's almost uncoverable man to man. He's incredible. And I agree. He can hurt you on the short passes. He can hurt you deep. He's a huge dynamic part of that offense. And I, th- I think it's going to be an awesome game. I really do. And you're right. If Mahomes is dinged up, that uh, aside from the concussion or not concussion, whatever injury he sustained, because now there's all sorts of conspiracy theories on the Internet about what that was. But if he's less than 100 percent, that is going to be massive. Obviously, I said earlier this year, the two things you need to beat the Chiefs are you need amazing quarterback play and you need Mahomes to have an off day for whatever reason. And if you don't have both, you can't beat them. The Bills are one of the few teams that can have both. Kansas City is favored by three, RJ. And before you make your pick, I just want to let you know, the last eight times the Kansas City Chiefs were favored, they are 0-7-1 against the spread. Yeah, um, we both took Cleveland to cover last week, obviously. Congratulations to us. Uh, Congratulations to me. Nine picks ahead with three games to go. Obviously, I'm amazing at this. Um, I will will take the buff. Hold on. Of the two of us, who has been perfect the last two weeks? That's this true. <laughs> I've been perfect the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, I got them all wrong. Last week, I got them all right. I am a eater. So wait a minute, Stats. You have not incorrectly predicted a playoff game. You are perfect in the you. You are 2012 Joe Flacco. That's who you are right now. Like you are just you're living in the ecstasy, dude. You know. Like, that's amazing. So you know what? You go for actually. I'll let me set you up, stats. Like you know, like we talked to Josh earlier. Some golf analogies. You're putting for birdie. Let me let me clear the stage for you. I will take the Buffalo Bills. I would take them straight up. I think they're winning. I do think the best game right now that we could see, because unfortunately Patrick Mahomes has some ailments, is between the Packers and the Bills. I want that. I really think it would be incredible. I think it would be great for the NFL to have the Bills back in. Yes, I'll use the cliche line. Team Bills. I am the biggest Bills fan on the SB Nation NFL Show Network. I don't care who else thinks they like the Bills. Come at me. You can have a two-team. It's okay. Go Cowboys. <laughs> okay, there was a lot there. Um, I, I, I do worry because I think Josh Allen still has that gene in him that causes him to make just one stupid play. Back-breaking, crushing, bonehead play in a key spot. He's actually done it in this playoffs multiple times. It just hasn't come back to bite him. But he still has that in his DNA. Mahomes doesn't have that. Now, he's gotten lucky with a couple of dropped interceptions. But Mahomes doesn't have that as much as Josh Allen does. That said, I'm still getting points if I take the Bills. I think it's going to be a close game. So if I can't really give a team an edge one way or the other, I'll always take the team getting points. So I'm putting my playoff streak on the line. I will take the Buffalo Bills. But you you kind of set that up like you're taking them to cover. But I mean, and and that's fine. Like if they cover and lose, we'll give you the credit. But who do you think wins? Because I'm I'm well on the record. I think the Bills win this game. You I just want to clarify your point here. I think the Bills win. Okay. Now we're talking. You need so much stuff to go right for you. Even when you're really good, you need a ton to go right for you to make the Super Bowl. And to make it two straight years, you need a lot of bounces of the ball to go your way, even when you're really good. And I think the game is the teams are too evenly matched for all those bounces to go Kansas City's way. 
this to me feels like, do you remember in 2014 on the NFC side, there was a kind of a stage of like devastation every way the Detroit Lions lost on the picked up uh, pass interference play that Anthony Hitchens had when the Cowboys won the following week. The Cowboys lost on the desk catch the following week, the pack and they lost the Packers. The Packers lost to the Seahawks with those like eight things that happened negatively to them in the NFC title game. And then two weeks later, the Seahawks lost in the Malcolm Butler interception. Like it just got progressively more devastating for each team that won. I, I think that the, I wouldn't say the Browns had a, a devastating loss, but they, they are, you know, we, well, we played the clip on the daily show. I mean, Kevin Stefanski talked about how bitter it was. And especially with the, the rule, the non-penalty, you know, all that stuff. I, I think it, I think the chiefs, they lived in the face, right. Or fu- fuzz, fog, whatever I called it. And I think that, I think that playoff football is, is now eyeing the Buffalo bills. And I think that the chiefs might, there might be like a devastation because they've been on, I hate to be this guy. They've been on the right side of all of the weird breaks that the game of football can provide for a long time. And they have, I think you've got to be really good to put yourself in the situation to be on the right side. And they've been that, but I, th- I think their luck has just kind of run out in that capacity. I know that's a hollow point, but it just, we've, we've seen enough football to kind of, you know, be able to predict that if that makes sense. The Chiefs are due to lose, is what you're saying. They're due. That's your argument. There's a lo- lot more science and data that goes into it than that. But yes. Well, there you have it. Um, we hope you enjoy the games. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. We have got a ton for you coming up. We have got a lot of plans in the works. Meetings are being held. Secret things are being discussed. Heads are being put together. We are coming up with a an experience for you in the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl that I think is going to be unlike anything that you will see anywhere else. We're really excited about it. So don't worry that we're running out of games. We still got plenty of stuff coming up for you. And by the way, if you have the Clubhouse app, uh, Kyle Posey, who's on the Pupcast and I, we were on there last week after both Saturday and Sunday's action. We'll be on there again after the conference championship games to hang out, to talk, to discuss. And then, of course, we'll be back here on the SB Nation NFL show. There you go. Enjoy the games, everybody. Make sure you check that out, and we will talk to you next week.